this evening, we're looking just for two readers, John 3, 3 to 11, and John 3, 12 to 14. This evening, we're talking about being born of the Spirit. So we're going deep into the Spirit this evening. Some of you who are so come from a strong religious background, amen, I might shock some of you this evening, but I'm asking you to just come with an open mind, come with an open mind, and let the Holy Spirit guide you, the Holy Spirit will always guide you aright, he will never lead you wrong, he will always guide you aright, so I'm asking that you bear with me, come with an open mind, I could only I could only say what I receive, and we see in part, and we understand in part. Just like how you have a bottle, if you have a bottle with a label on it, you could only see the part that is facing you. you got to keep turning and turning the bottle to see the whole thing. So we see in part, and we understand in part, and the part that I see, I give it to you, and together growing and flourishing in the word of the Lord. Amen. So this evening, we're going to look at three items, three things we're looking at. One, we're looking at the fact that new birth, because this evening topic is born of the Spirit. So we're looking at new birth. We are going to define heaven. We're going to define heaven. And then we're also going to talk about the Son of Man. So let's we are going to define. We're going to look at what Jesus said in um, in John 3. Because John 3, verses 3 to 14, covers these three items. It covers new birth, it covers heaven, and it covers the Son of Man. So these are the three things. It sounds light, but I'm cautioning you. It is very heavy tonight, so come with an open mind. Because the more you understand, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate you, the more you expand in wisdom, knowledge, confidence. It's not just the Word of God, you know. It's not just spiritual knowledge you're gaining. The more spiritual knowledge you gain, the more confidence in life you gain. You can't have confidence in life, make concrete decision, make bold moves unless you're connected to the Holy Spirit. The more connected you are, the more confident you are. You cannot find somebody who's steep in the word and they're timid and afraid. No, 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 no. If you find somebody who is steep in the word, they have fallen short of the glory of God. They've fallen short. So anytime you find somebody timid and afraid and this and that, they're not steep in the word. Because the, the word of God gives you, makes you bold. The word of God gives you confidence. The word of God makes you have self-respect. The word of God lifts you up. So it's not only about you gaining spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom gives you life wisdom, gives you confidence. So as I take you deep into the word... I want you to bear that in mind. The stronger you become in the Word of God, the stronger you become in life. The more you make decisive decisions, the more you're not timid and shy and you're walking in boldness. All right, so let's see where this 
taken us this evening. So before we get started, let's play this song. Let me get into the Christmas spirit and then we are going to get started. Let's play O Holy Night. Oh no! 
Amen, amen, amen. All right. So this evening, as I said, we're talking about born of the Spirit. Bear with me. We're going to go slow. And we're going to try to understand some things. You are here because the Holy Spirit brought you here. And the Holy Spirit brought you here for a reason. He knows. I don't know. He knows. So bear with me as we look on this new birth. Born of the Spirit. We're looking at new birth. Looking at heaven. And we're looking at the Son of Man. Three items we're going to try to extrapolate. Alright. God bless all of you. So let's start with the readers. In reply, Jesus declared, I will tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. Here in this reading. Praise be to God. Next reader. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here endeth the reading. Praise be to God. Amen. So we see right off the bat in John 3 and 3, Jesus is saying, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, I'm going to go slow because when I reach the heaven, I want to, I want us to understand this. Jesus is referring to the heavenly birth. He's referring to the heavenly birth, which means being born into the knowledge of truth. Right? He's referring to the heavenly birth means being born into the knowledge of truth. Understand me. You're being born into the knowledge of truth. 
No. All religion have different kind of practices to grow the children from one stage to another and so on. They all have their rite of passage, if you want to call it. In the Catholic religion, they have something called confirmation, which is like a rite of passage, and it happens when you're around 11, 12 years old. This confirmation, I know the Jewish people have something, everybody has something. And that confirmation is like being born again, being born into the knowledge of truth, where you recognize your faith. You live. You, you decide to live your faith, and you figure by that time you have sense. You have enough sense to choose, and not only following your parents' doctrine, but you know you have sense to make a personal commitment. A personal commitment. So you're being born again into the knowledge of truth. When Jesus is saying, "Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Jesus is referring to a heavenly birth, which means being born into the knowledge of truth. He refers to this as being born of water and spirit, as the first reader testified. He, he refers to this as being born of water and spirit. Now, the symbol of water is used to express the idea of a complete immersion in spirit hear me. The symbol of water is used to express the idea of a complete immersion in spirit. As water flows in and around, so we are immersed in an everlasting spirit which flows around in and through us. Don't think of yourself as a physical body now. Think of yourself as spirit. Think of yourself as an entity. And that is why Jesus using the symbol of water is used to express the idea of a complete emotion in the spirit. As water flows in and around, so we are immersed in an everlasting spirit which flows around in and through us. To be immersed in water symbolizes our recognition that we are surrounded by pure spirit. It is an outward sign of an inner conviction. But water alone cannot make us complete. Let me tell you a story. Let's see if this analogy will help. Because I, I want you to, to visualize yourself, not a, not a physical body. Because we're dealing strictly with spirituality, born of the spirit. So not dealing with your physical attributes here. Now, Pastor Boyce and I was in Guyana. Went to Guyana one year. And one guy took us around Guyana <coughs> along with the Minister of Agriculture. And we went many places. We crossed the Bobis River. Now, Guyana have about four major rivers. They have the Demerara River, the Essequibo River, and, and two others. I think we went by, we crossed the Bobis, I think it's the Bobis River. Now, Guyana also, the North Atlantic Ocean also runs borders with Guyana as it passes there, the Amazon River, and so on. 
Now, all these rivers, the, the Demerara, the Essequibo, the Bobis, and so on, they all flow into the Atlantic Ocean. All They all flow into the Atlantic Ocean. Now, this guy took us to a section where the river, I don't think it was the Bobis River, because, I don't know, it could be the Demerara River, and one of those rivers were alongside the Atlantic Ocean. Now, you know that river water, it's fresh water, it's not salty, and the ocean is, is, is salt, is salt water. And he showed us how each river, the river running alongside the Atlantic, and they have two distinct colors. You could see it, two very distinct colors. And he's telling us that the fresh water is running along the ocean, and it doesn't mix. It doesn't mix. So he's telling me that, and he's a man of uh, a learned man, so I'm not going to question anybody, especially in front of the Ministry of Agriculture. I just, he said it, and I take it as that, but I did a little chemistry in school, and if you do chemistry and you do osmosis, it, it doesn't mix, it doesn't line up, the logic doesn't line up. So I just leave it at that and accept it, because the water do look different. It do look different, the salt water is one color, the fresh water is another color, and they're running along a straight line, like straight line, like if somebody take a ruler and draw a line, it's running along the straight line. and. The, they have two distinct different colors, and he's telling me it doesn't mix. Seeing all this to say, I see all this to say that Jesus is referring to being born of water and spirit, and he's using the symbol of water to express the idea of a complete immersion in spirit. As water flows in and around, so we are immersed in an everlasting spirit which flows around in and through us. Now, I see in this about the river in Guyana, because this guy tell me that the water don't mix, but could I tell you that they do mix? It's just because their composition, their chemical composition is different, so they look different. But when one water meets the next water, they will mix. There is no real separation. And all of you who may have seen that in your travels, because Guyana is not the only place that has this kind of fresh water meeting salt water. We have it in Vancouver as well. So wherever you find fresh water meeting salt water, you're going to find that differentiation in the color. And it will look like if it doesn't mix, but it do mix. Jesus is so sweet. That's why he's using the symbol of water. So I want you to remove your physical body. I want you to remove your body. I want you to recognize. See if you could just recognize within yourself that as water flows in and around, so we are immersed in an everlasting spirit which flows around in and through us. I want you to recognize that. I want you to hold on to that. Because recognition is the first step. It's not by chance or accident Jesus used the water. 
the water the symbol of water is used to express the idea of a complete immersion in spirit no many religions take it and they use it uh, they have all kind of rituals that represent different things so nothing wrong with that and nothing wrong with that i'm not saying don't do no rituals i'm not saying nothing like that but i want you to go deeper and understand why jesus is saying this is not simply to do an outward action and outward action is, is, is nothing wrong with it but it's much deeper than that i want you to understand as water flows in and around so we are immersed in an everlasting spirit which flows around and in and through us can you understand that can you understand that the spirit of god is all around you can you understand that the spirit of god is floating through you can you get that can you understand that to be immersed in water symbolizes our recognition that we are surrounded by pure spirit can you recognize that you are surrounded by pure spirit it is an outward sign of an inner conviction but water alone cannot make us completely clean or whole we must be born of the spirit for that which is born of the spirit is spirit man partakes of the divine nature and the divine nature is man the recognition of this is being born of spirit but we cannot be born of spirit unless we do the will of the spirit and the will of the spirit is goodness the will of the spirit is peace the will of the spirit is mercy the will of the spirit is justice the will of the spirit is truth it is conscious union with god when you're operating in goodness when you're operating in peace when you're operating in mercy when you're operating in justice and truth you are in conscious union with god the new birth comes not by observation not by loud proclamation but through an innocence of reality we cannot tell where it comes from if you look to the outward things as it proceeds from the innermost parts of our own being are you getting me somebody are you understanding what the spirit of god is saying here that's what john is saying in verse 3 to 9 that's what he's saying this new birth comes not by observation not by loud proclamation but through an inner sense of reality we cannot tell where this comes from if we look to the outward things as it proceeds from the innermost parts of our own being now john 3 and 13 tell us and no man had ascended up to heaven we got to understand this now just fasten your seat but stretch your legs 
right? Because we're going to rock and roll tonight. Because we got to get this. And no man had ascended up to heaven. But he that come down from heaven. Even the son of man which is in heaven. Here's another of those sayings with hidden meanings. Which places Jesus among the great mystics. He said that no man can go to heaven unless he come from heaven. And that he can neither go nor come from heaven unless he's already there. Now this is going to confuse the dickens out of us. Because we don't understand what heaven is. We don't. Because we've been told you die and go to heaven. Or you die and go to hell. And last week I told you, the same way you live your life on earth is the same way you're going to live your life after that. Now, let's see if we could define heaven. Amen? Heaven is a state of happiness. Happiness. Heaven is within it revolves about us. It is the result of that atmosphere of conviction which our thoughts awaken within us. The kingdom of heaven is unformed, unlimited, unconditioned. Heaven is not a place, a locality with streets of gold and gates of pearl. It is the real state of being. We do not make it real, for it is eternal reality. If we abide in the Father, and He abides in us in harmony, in power, in peace, in wisdom, and our thought is friendly, happy, confident, and open, our kingdom of heaven is a good place in which we live. Can you understand that? Let me see. Alright. Let me see if I can say that again. Heaven is a state of happiness. Heaven is within. It revolves about us. It is the result of that atmosphere of conviction which our thought awakens within us. The kingdom of heaven is unformed, unlimited, unconditioned. Heaven is not a place, a locality with streets of gold and gates of pearls. It is the real state of being. We do not make it real. For it is eternal reality. If we abide in the Father. And he abides in us. In harmony. In power. In peace. In wisdom. And our thought is friendly. Happy. Confident and open. Our kingdom of heaven. Is a good place in which to live. Now, John is saying in 
3.13 No man can go to heaven unless he come from heaven and that he can neither go to nor come from heaven unless he's already there. This is in line with the idea that the truth knows neither yesterday, today, nor tomorrow. The truth knows neither yesterday, today, or tomorrow. It knows sequence, but not time. Only that can return to heaven, which was born in heaven. And since heaven is not a place, but a state of consciousness, the return must be a recognition that heaven is already within. The Son of Man, who is also the Son of God, is already in heaven and knows it not. I know, don't get too frightened here. Let's, let's, let's go on. Let's look at the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus tells us we must, the Son of Man, also be lifted up by looking on and believing in this son we are saved Jesus could not have been referring to his own personality for he knew that this would soon be taken away the sight of humanity we must look for a deeper meaning if you look in, if you look in the Bible if you look in the Bible and at these words taken from John 3 and 14, they're in red. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus' words in red. So he's not talking about himself because he is talking. We must look deeper to see what is he trying to say. Because Jesus doesn't say anything arbitrary or everything he says has some deep meaning to it. So, we must be lifted up. That is, we must realize our divine nature and relationship to the truth of God. It's a deeper meaning. We must be lifted up, every one of us. Every one of us must be lifted up. Every one of us must realize our divine nature and relationships to the truth of God. This relationship is one of complete unity. The cross represents the tree of life and may also be thought of as a tree of unity. When Moses lifted up the serpent, those who look upon it were healed. This understanding produced a consciousness of unity, which had healing power. The life principle is either looked upon as material or spiritual. When looked upon as material, it casts us from the Garden of Eden. The Garden 
of our soul. The life principle viewed only as matter is death. But viewed as life and unity, it becomes life everlasting. Moses elevated the idea. He elevated the life principle and Jesus did the same. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Even as Moses lift up the life principle symbolized by the serpent. The same serpent that took Eve out of the garden. The same serpent that lifted up just how you look at it. We are reminded here of another symbol, one used in the Old Testament, that of the serpent which cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. Remember what I said last week. You have a choice. You have a choice to do this, or you have a choice to do that. It's not the entity. It's not the thing. It is you. And the choice you make, this or that. The serpent means the outer realm of spiritual existence. The life principle viewed from an isolated and material basis. When you, when you use it like that, you, you get cast out of the garden. The worship of material existence apart from God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden of perfection. The attempt to live in effects apart from true causes always does this. Anytime you want to think that your wisdom, oh, your learned knowledge is good enough. Every time you want to think that you got it all, you don't need God, you don't need this. You are operating outside of the spiritual truth. The story of the fall taken literally would be ridiculous to the point of absurdity. Here it is necessary to look for a deeper meaning. The writer was trying to teach some kind of lesson here. The lesson of right and wrong. The Garden of Eden typifies life in its pure essence. Adam means man in general, generic man. Man exists in pure life and has all of its agency at its command. This is the meaning being told to till the soil and enjoy the fruits of his labor. The tree of life is our real being. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil means the possibility of dual choice. That is, we can choose even that which is not good for us or not best for us. Man is warned not to eat of the fruit of this tree, for it is destructive. Eat the woman in the case of was made from a rib of Adam. The story suggests the dual nature of man as a psychological being. The woman is made from the man. She must have been in him as she could not have been made out of him. 
and the story clearly states that she was taken from his being. Adam and Eve, a potential in all of us. The serpent represents the life principle. Viewed from a serial basis, which beguiles us in this way, he said that evil is as real as good, but that the evil has equal power with God. No, that's not true. That negation equal positive goodness and that the universe is dual in its nature. From the acceptance of this argument, we experience both good and evil. If you accept that, and we have been taught to believe that, but if you accept that, then you are given power to something that doesn't have it. And should we come full orbit into our individuality without having learned the lesson of unity, we should live forever in a state of bondage. So if you were taught this equal power nonsense, and if you buy into that, you will forever live in a state of bondage because there's one God, there's one power. And anytime anything have any other power, it's you giving it the power. It has no power on its own. There's only one power. There's one source. But if we were to buy in to this kind of an argument of equal power, equal positive goodness, equal good and bad, if we were to buy into that foolishness, then we are the ones giving credence to things. We are the ones lifting up that, those stupid things. We are the ones pull your power away and it has nothing. It's dead. Because with that kind of thinking, you will never learn the lesson of unity. And if you don't learn the lesson of unity, we should live forever in a state of bondage. This is the meaning of God saying, He shall become as one of us and live forever. The eternal mind does not wish to live forever in bondage. And this is what will happen unless we first learn the lesson of right and wrong. And so that part of us, which can be fooled, eats of the fruit of the dual experience, and in so doing, reveals its own nakedness. The native state of man is one of purity, one of peace, and one of perfection. And it's only when we compare this with impurity, distress, and imperfection that we are revealed as naked. Someone says that virtue does not know it's virtuous. It is only when virtue tastes of impurity that it becomes naked and must hide from itself. Let me tell you a story. I, uh, migrate to Canada as a young girl and uh, grew up in Ottawa 
I was very privileged. I really didn't suffer as much a lot of immigrants do. I was not one of them. I can't say that I suffer or had any kind of hardship. I live a good life. I had a good life. Some of the trials and tribulations I see new immigrants going through, I didn't experience that. Anyway, one year, my brother-in-law went back to Trinidad for holidays. Now, he went back after a very long time. Wherever he went in Trinidad, he said, you know, those people are really poor, you know. They're very poor. Now, that's what he is he's, he's telling me this, and he's describing. You can't compare one environment to another. You can't compare what he value is not what they value. It's two different class of living. They may live in a simple home, but they own no mortgage. The point I'm trying to make here, in those people's lives, they are happy. They are fine. They are truly happy. He is the one that is mixed up. He is the one that is confused. So when you start, you only know that you're troubled when you start comparing. You get to me, you get to what I'm trying to say here? The native state of man is one of purity, peace, and perfection. I tell you that every single day inside of you is a goodness, is a truth that is undefiled, that knows no ill. I, I, I am poking this every single time. That's the truth of who you are. But if you, when you compare yourself with impurity, distress, and imperfection, then you reveal your nakedness. Virtue doesn't know that it's virtuous. It's only when virtue tastes of impurities that it becomes naked and must hide from itself. The voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day means the introspective and meditative part of us, which in the moments of pure intuition and reason sees the illusion of a life apart from God or good. Error is ever a coward before truth and cannot hide itself from reality, which sees through everything encompasses all and penetrates even the prison walls of the mind. Now, the conversation between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden represents the arguments that go on in our own minds when we try to realize the truth. These arguments are familiar to all. The expulsion from the garden is a necessary and logic, logical outcome of tasting of dual experience. If we believe in both good and evil, we must experience it. But lest we should become discouraged, remember that Moses lived up the serpent in the wilderness and those who look upon it were healed. The serpent means the life principle.
principle view from a material basis alone. It casts us from a perfect state. If you view the serpent from a material basis alone, it will cast you from that perfect state. Lift up, that is, viewed from a true meaning of unity of God, it heals the same serpent. Here's the choice again, only stated in different words. The difference is not in the thing itself, but in the way we look at it. The Son of Man is every man who ever lived or who will ever live. Are you hearing me, somebody? Our life is true spirit, not from matter. This viewpoint is the truth, and the truth alone makes free. We come into everlasting life as we elevate this inner principle to a sense of the unity of man with God. Each must lift himself to the cross of the tree of life. This unifying himself with the reality, unifying himself with the indwelling Christ. The concept is glorious. And the reward is certain. The revelation of the self to the self. This is the great lesson of lessons. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I hope you get something from this. God bless you so much.